How do you receive a gift and then how do you respond to it? We have so much today that we have forgotten how to appreciate what is given as a gift. The Lord says in Deuteronomy, when you go into the land that I'm going to give to you, that I promised to your forefathers, don't forget me. When you live in homes that you haven't built, and when you eat food that you haven't planted, and when you do this, don't forget me. And when Christmas comes around, when you say, celebrate the birth of my son, don't forget him. But sometimes we get all excited about the wrong things, don't we? A gift today can very quickly be what? Discarded. You give somebody something and you're looking with expectation. I wonder when they're going to wear it. I wonder when they're going to put it on. (laughs) Say that again, Carol. (laughs) It's gone, eh? It's at least wear it once where somebody can see that you what? That you appreciate it. Allow them to see that. Boy, you really thank them for the gift that was given. Because what's behind that is this. With every gift, you never know the sacrifice that somebody has made. Under the tree, when the kids open the gift, they don't know that mom and dad might be paying all year long for those gifts. They don't know that mom and dad may have not paid this bill, that bill, not done this, in order to put what? Something under the tree. They don't see the sacrifice. They only see what? The gift. And to open that gift and have the wrong expression says a lot. (laughs) To receive that gift but never use that gift says a lot. We quickly throw it away or put it to the side. All because the person isn't grateful for what someone else has sacrificed for that gift. Scripture informs us not to neglect so great a salvation. It informs us not to neglect And I see neglect every Sunday. Vic has a reason for not being in sanctuary oftentimes. Because he can't sit long. But others neglect really hearing the word. They neglect really reverence Jesus. Guess what? You didn't come to church to sing. You didn't come to church to play. You didn't come to church to see so-and-so. You came to church, hopefully, for one reason, one reason only, to meet with Jesus. To have Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit whisper something into your ear that is pertinent to you, that is valuable to you, And you discard it when you go elsewhere because the whole process is that, boy, when company comes into your house and you go into the other room and visit with them while they sit in your living room, what does that say to company? God wants our presence before him. And scripture informs us not to neglect our gift. Go to 1 Timothy 4.14 with me. And because the whole process is that we want not to neglect it. We want to appreciate it. We want to engulf it. We want to behold it. We want to use it. He says, do not neglect your gift. 
you can very quickly say, well, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about the gifts that come from God. He's talking about that area of the gospel. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic what? Message. Don't neglect that. But in our day, it's so easy to neglect because we're so quickly to discard things. We're very quickly to discard the things of the Lord because, again, it's a gift, but we don't value. It's a gift that we have very little value or concern about. And therefore, I can take it and put it on the shelf and not use it. And salvation is meant to be used, not to be shelved. Salvation is meant to be lived out, not put on the shelf. And yet, we neglect such a gift. Hebrews 2 3. Hebrews. Chapter 2 and verse 3. Get these eyes there. Two, and I'm going to start in verse 2 because I'm having a hard time finding three. Oh, there three is. How should we escape? Verse 3. How do we escape, or how is it that we're able to miss this, get past this, overlook this? Because, see, it's been given to us that we might profit by it. The gift has been given that you might use it and that you might benefit by it. The gift has been given that you might rejoice in it. How should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? That we ignore it. Let me use another word for it. We belittle it. We remove the value of it. We put it in second or third place. It's not in first place. It has no real importance for me. And so many Christians have shelved their Christian life. And yet, everything else comes before really serving the Lord. Everything else comes before hearing from the Lord. And he says, how will you escape so great, and the emphasis on a great salvation? On a great, do you see your salvation as something great? Or do you belittle it? It's not really important. I have no real value for it. It doesn't really profit my life. It doesn't benefit me. It doesn't help me. It's just an old fable, an old myth. But there's nothing concrete about it. There's no reality in it. And the reason there's no reality in it is because you put it on the shelf rather than put it on. The sweater you got for Christmas would keep you warm if you what? Put it on. But you'll complain about the cold when you got a sweater, but you put it on the shelf. Those jeans or those slacks that you got will help you and keep you warm on a winter day 
when that breeze is blowing. But you took those pants and you put them on the shelf. And you wonder why your legs are cold or why you're Some of you men might understand this word. Them long johns will keep you warm on a wintry day if you're outside. And you appreciate them. But if you put them on the shelf and go out, you're going to feel the cold. But remember this. You have chosen not to use it. And a lot of Christians have chosen not to use their gift that has been given to them in Jesus Christ. And they put it on the shelf and really think nothing else about it. Now, People can come up with excuses of why they don't like a certain gift. It don't feel good on me. I don't like the way it looks on me. That was something they were wearing two years ago. That don't have the right label on it. I don't wear jeans that are under $50. I don't wear tennis shoes unless they're over a hundred and something dollars. Even if those tennis shoes cost $10, somebody sacrificed $10 on your behalf. Isn't that right? And we devalue the gift based on how we use the gift. And what excuses we come up with for not using the gift. Paul is going to make, in one sense, a comparison with giving. Because sometime in giving... We think we are really doing something. But it's in light of comparison of your giving. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're basically going to camp out right there in that chapter, because I want you to see the comparison and somehow grab hold of it and its understanding. That in one sense, everything we're going to read comes out of the conclusion of this chapter. Just to go through it quickly. To be ready, as I said you would be. Paul had bragged on these individuals. And he's given them a year to be ready. And he has told others about their faith and about their desire to give and wanting to give. And he says, therefore... There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints because the saints in Jerusalem had needs. The saints in Jerusalem was going lacking. They had physical needs. And the rest of the church, some distance away, was taking the collection for them. Just like somebody in Kentucky, some distance away, who may have sent some money in here for the air conditioning. Some folks out in California who sent money this way 
to help replace the air conditioning. People we've never seen, never heard of. But somehow God moved on their hearts to give to some people that they knew nothing about, really. And most likely these people knew very little about the people in Jerusalem. Other than that, they were believers in Jerusalem. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. That there is an eagerness to do this. Now, listen to how Paul is building them up. But then watch how Paul's going to question them. <laughs> to help. And I have been boasting about it. I've been telling other people about it. I've been bragging about you. To the Macedonians telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give. Ready to give. Are you ready to give? Are you ready to give? Are you ready to give of yourself? Let me share something with you. Jesus was ready to die for you before the foundations of this earth was ever laid. Jesus was ready to go to the cross and die for you that you might have salvation. He didn't need coaching. He didn't need encouragement. He didn't need... He was just ready to act. To give up himself. He was just ready to give. Are you ready to give? Do you find it enjoyable to give? Because Christ, knowing what was going to take place afterwards, found joy in giving himself that we might be saved. He says, be ready. He goes on down. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove what? Empty. Hollow. Untrue. I'm sending the brothers ahead to help you, to encourage you, to get you ready if you haven't so done so. Hear the confidence at first, but see the other part that comes through? Because sometimes we're not quite ready to what? Give, because we don't think we can give. We don't think we can afford to give. Let me share it with you this way. You can't afford not to give. You can't afford not to give. And he says, I'm sending the brothers to you to help get you prepared, to get you ready, to make sure everything that I've been boasting about is going to take place. For if any Macedonian come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you would be ashamed of having been so what? Confident. Can you be overconfident in people? Yes. But you can never be overconfident in Jesus. But we can be overconfident in people. Never put your confidence in Pastor Brown. 
You put your confidence in Jesus Christ. You never put your confidence in someone else, per se. That's not say you don't have no confidence at all in them. But the Lord says, trust no man. Why? We are all sinners. We're all doomed to failure. For the righteous man shall fall seven times, but what? Seven times he shall rise. It doesn't talk about who those he may have hurt in his fall. It talks about him getting up. But whenever you falter in life, other people are always hurt because other people are always looking to you in some manner, in some way. And therefore he says, boy, put your confidence in me. And Paul says, boy, this area, yes, of confidence that is there, but I don't want to be ashamed of having been so confident because of how you might respond. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. For the generous gift that you have promised. Jesus was promised to us. And in the fullness of time, he came born of a woman under the law. And God kept his promise to us in sending his son. Advance and finish the arrangements for generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift. Not as one grudgingly giving. I don't give grudgingly. I don't give the gift wishing I wouldn't give it. When somebody's getting married and you bring in a gift to them, are you bringing the gift just because that's the thing to do? You have to find something for them? Or is it coming from the heart? When you're giving gifts out, is it coming from the heart? Or is it just something you're just doing because it's the season to give? And he says, we don't do it grudgingly. And then he reminds them of something. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's why it's important for you to give, because you're going to reap a harvest in your attitude of giving. You can never outgive God. And even what you give, God has provided. And what you're doing in giving back to him is showing your appreciation of what he has done on your behalf. And he says, if you sow sparingly, the promise is this, you're going to reap out sparingly. Don't look for a lot. Don't look for a lot. But if you give generously out of the heart. Now, we use 10% as a standard of giving. It is not the law of the New Testament. Was it practiced in the New Testament? I believe it was because that's all they knew. But because you don't do that, you're not judged by it, nor are you going to hell because you don't. But the goal would be, if you can't do 10%, you give the widow's might. But your goal ought to be to go beyond the 10%. Because you know who provides for you. You know who has put the bread on your table. 
You know when you go there and turn the water faucet on, who allowed you to pay that bill that that water flows for you? You know that when you go to the gas station, thank you, Lord, for filling my tank. Thank you, Lord, for giving me $10 worth of gas. Thank you, Lord, for the job that I go to. Let me throw Joseph in here just for a moment. Me and Roscoe was at a shop, and I, I just used it for a time of witnesses. We was getting one thing, and I shared with the young man. I said, you don't know it. You're Potiphar, and your helper out there is Joseph. And he kind of <laughs> I said, he's helping you to make a profit. And the more he helps you make a profit, the more he's going to be blessed just like Joseph. But he don't own anything in this shop. You own it all. You're the Potiphar. But you're being blessed by a Joseph who helps you. And you need to say, Lord, thank you. And then I turned to Joseph, the guy who was helping. I said, you need to understand something. If you're a blessing to him and he prosper, part of that prosperity is going to come back to you. You can call it a raise, you can call it a bonus, you can call it extra, whatever you want to call it. But because the way you work at it, and he prosper from it, you're going to be blessed also. And oftentimes we forget that. Lord, thank you for this job. And I work unto God and not unto man. And as I work unto God, I am a blessing to my employer. And in return, I am blessed. I profit because of how I work. And I understand where that job came from. Come from the Lord. Come from the Lord. And he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And then he moves on down a little bit more. He says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart. Your giving is a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. When you go out and buy your gifts, it's a heart issue. And the thing is, what you may buy this person and buy this person over here is a heart issue. How close they are to your heart. Whether they are a relative, whether they're your child, not your child, whether they're this, whether they're that. It's the value you place on the person is the value you place on the gift that you're going to give. And when God gave us his son, it's a demonstration of the value he placed on us. Because it was a heart issue. Your giving is a heart issue. He moves on. And he says, and God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God's grace enables. God's grace enables you and provides all that you have need of. Don't forget that. Don't forget it's God's grace that is providing for you. Where does that grace come from? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. That grace comes through him. He goes a little bit further. And he says in verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store. He makes your what? Your store larger. He makes your income larger. He makes things for you larger. 
the problem is, oftentimes we think it's just for who? For me. He doesn't make it larger. For to whom much is given, much is what? Required. Oftentimes we stop our own growth based on the fact of the increase we don't handle it properly. God wants to just keep increasing. We stop the increasing because we think the increase is supposed to stop here. God gives me a privilege to use some of the increase, but it's also for the purpose of going outward. It's also for the purpose of going outward, not just staying inward. You ever see those hoarders? Sometimes Elaine gives me because she loves to watch hoarders sometimes. Yeah. Can't quite figure them folks out. But just think if they would give away what they're hoarding to people who have need. Just think of all the stuff that they're hoarding. If they would just give it away if they can't use it. That somebody else could use it. What a blessing it would be. And sometimes as Christians, we're hoarding the gift that God has given to us rather than allow the gift to do what? To flow outwardly. And he's telling us, now he will supply the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply the increase of your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your what? Your righteousness. The work that you do, the things that you do, he will enlarge it. He's going to make it bigger than you could ever imagine. And in verse 11, he simply says, you will be made rich Who's causing you to become rich? He is. You will be made wealthy. You will be given more in every way so that you can be what? Generous. Not that you can be stingy. Not that you can hoard it. Now, understand me. I'm not saying you should not save. I'm not saying every penny and nickel you get that you give away. I'm not saying for you not to be wise. What I am saying is this. Don't make your wealth your God. Don't make your wealth or your riches what you depend on. Don't make what you have that you look at with the man who said, boy, I have this much and I'm having more. I'm going to go build me another barn if I can store up more and I'm going to make merry and I'm going to live good. And the Lord said, this night I require your soul. He blesses us that we can be generous towards others. He blesses us that we can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. He blesses us that, like he says, that we can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your works through your generosity will cause other people to praise God for what he has supplied to you and what he has given to you will cause other people to be blessed by you. And then when you get to verse 12, look what he says. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Your generosity and what you give is not only a blessing to Christians, but it's an overflowing effect to non-believers. 
Let me illustrate it in this way if I can. You have a neighbor who is an unbeliever. Yes, they may do, they may do, they may use all the foul language. But because you're saved, and that neighbor never hears you use a word of profanity or cussing, that's a blessing to him because he is witnessing that you can communicate without what? Without the profanity, without the cussing. He didn't have too much. And he falls in his yard. And you see him. And you go out and help him get up and get in the house. Are you a blessing to him? If God has blessed you, where you can read and you can do math. Though Jonathan was sharing with me, fourth grade, I do algebra. Well, boy, when I started algebra, I was in junior high school. (laughs) Now he's in fourth grade starting it. And the whole process, he'll be able to help somebody else with algebra. And as God gives him the intellect and the knowledge, as I was sharing with him, you don't go down here so that you can socialize with your friends. You help bring your friends where at? Up here. And that's the overflowing part of the Christian life. We don't go down into the gutter. We don't have to put earrings on and we don't have to do all this other stuff. We don't have to make ourselves look like the world in order to help the world. We bring the world up to us and understand and help the world to understand God already created a perfect individual and I don't care what you put on yourself, you can't make yourself any better. If you don't have long flying air, Ain't no use paying $80 to get some long flying hair. If you stop biting those nails, you won't have to put them other nails on. And yes, as we age, we age graciously, but if you put too much stuff of this stuff on, you look like you're going to war. And for men, if you're older, why them britches way down here? You pull them up. You 30, 40, 50 years old. Why are they down here? See, in the Christian life, whether we want to accept it or not, we're always setting the example, and that's the overflow that takes place in a sinful world that God teaches us, has blessed us, and our teaching, and what we understand of our teaching, and the blessings that we receive become an overflow into the life of the unbeliever. And they say, thank you, God. Not even understanding what they're saying. And he says, praises go up because of how we live. Because people, whether we believe it or not, really know that it comes from God. Have you ever did something for an unbeliever? Bought him groceries? Bought him a sandwich? Bought him something? And they say, God bless you. Thank you, God. And, and they don't really believe in God. They're not following God. They haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, but they understand this. God used you to bless them. So in that verse 12, he simply, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, 
But this is supplying the needs of others. But in also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It's a blessing to God. As he sees what you do with what he has given to you. And he moves on. He says, you prove your obedience and you prove your understanding of God's message. You prove what it is to be a Christian by how you perform. So he says, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, you've demonstrated to someone else that you're a Christian. You're living the Christian life. You're showing forth the evidence in your obedience to God that you are a genuine Christian and you're not a fake. You're not just saying it and don't do it. But you are one who are being taught, who understands it, who digests it, and then put it into practice that others can see it. And he says, you prove yourself that you really are a Christian or a follower of Jesus. You prove it by how you perform and how you act. And he goes on and he says, because of the service by which you have proven yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your what? Confession. In other words, it's not just by your mouth, but it's by your action. It's by how you live. It's by what you do. That accompanies your confession. Of what? Of the gospel. That you really do believe this gospel. You really do believe the Bible. You really do believe the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore you perform and you do. And then in verse 14 is an encouragement. He says, boy, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing, what? Grace. They've seen something in your life that they understand it's not you. But it is the grace of God working through you. And it's the surpassing grace of God that performs this, that does this, that ministers to them. It is the grace of God that has been given to them that is demonstrated in life. Then Paul somewhat sums this up. You may think you are doing a great thing. You may think you're really making a sacrifice. You may really think you're giving it all. And he makes this comparison now. In your service and providing for the needs of others, in your giving that others might receive, in all that you think and how big you may think it is, when it compares with the gift that God has given you, your gift is mighty, mighty small and really insignificant if you understand verse 15. And he says then, Thanks be to God for his indescribable, unspeakable, unexplainable gift that he has given to who? To us. To you. Yes, you may do all this in your giving. And yes, you've been used by God and his amazing grace working through you. 
But don't think you've done something so that you can brag about it when you put it into comparison of the gift that God has given to you. Don't brag about who you helped this year. Because how God has helped you is unexplainable. Don't brag about how much you've given. Because it all comes from God. And like the song says, count your many blessings. Not somebody else's blessings. But count your many blessings. Count how God has given to you. Not what you've given to others. For your giving to others is out of your obedience to God and following his message. But be thankful that through Jesus Christ, you were able to what? Perform and to give. And he says, boy, be thankful. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Because everything that we do here in this chapter 9 comes through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The heart to give comes through the example of Jesus. You give or you're giving is made possible because of the gift of Christ in your life. Because of the gift of Jesus in your life. Go to John 3.16. Someone say, well, I I know John 3.16. I know John 3.16. Praise God, you know John 3.16. But do you understand John 3.16? For He simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He what? He loved. That's a hard thing. Genuine love is a hard thing. Genuine love flows from the heart. It doesn't come by what your actions are. Sometimes I ask husband and wife this question when they're in trouble. And my question is simply this. Why is it you can work through the problem with your son or your daughter? Why is it that you love them so much you're willing to hang in there with them even though it's costing you something and it's hurting you? Now I want you to look at your husband. Do you love him more than you love your children? Because the demonstration is you love the child more than the husband. Well, he's grown. No. That child can be grown. See, love is a hard thing. And love covers a multitude of sins. And with God, Him loving us is a hard thing that He might cover and do away with our sin through Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave. Why are you giving? Is it just because it's the season to give? It's the season to be nice? Oh, I'm going to play Santa Claus. No. Is it a heart thing? Is it a heart thing? God so loved the world that he gave. The John. Again, 19th chapter. Look what comes in this gift. This unexplainable gift. This gift 
that sometimes we just can't explain. And we need to see it. John 19.30 When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. What is he talking about? Your salvation is complete. You can't add anything to it. You can't make it any better. Your salvation is complete. That's the type of gift God gave you. He didn't give you a half a shirt. He didn't give you a pair of pants with just one leg to it. He didn't give you a sweater with just one arm to it. He gave you a complete, completed salvation. You don't have to add anything to it. You just have to use it. You just have to wear it. Colossians 3, chapter 3. You just have to take off the old and put on the new. You have to do it. Because your salvation is complete. It's finished. And he says, forgive them. In this gift that he gives me through Jesus Christ, God is able to take my sins and put them into the deepest ocean and remember them no more. God is able to take my sins and put as far as it is to the east from the west, never to bring them up again. That I have a complete forgiveness from God. And because of that, I am no longer seen as the enemy and his wrath is not against me. But I receive all his promises in this gift that he's given me in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. And there's so much more that we could be pulling out about this gift, but I'm just trying to hit just some of the nuggets parts. And the biggest one is, yes, salvation is free, it's complete, it's a finished work for you in this gift that has been given to you. Yes, total forgiveness for whatever. And sometimes people feel, I can't be forgiven for this. I can't be forgiven for that. I can't be for. Yes, you can. Because Christ has paid the price that you can be totally forgiven of your past and you pick up in this very moment and you live differently because you've been totally, completely forgiven. Hebrews 2. Read with me. Look at 14 through 18. He says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to put on a humanity. Nobody had to go out and buy you a gift. But he was ready to do it. He wanted to do it. And he did it. He put on humanity to be like us. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That he would destroy the one who would destroy us. That he would destroy the works of the devil. That we might be able to live this Christian life. That gift in Jesus Christ enables us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to live in the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Unspeakable gift. Unexplainable gift. Why would he do that for me who sinned the way I sinned, who disowned him in the way I disowned him, in the way I used to use his name, the way I used to ignore him, 
and push him to the side and not accept him. Why would he do this? It's unexplainable that he would love me that much to give me his son. That unspeakable And free, and free death, that is the devil. And to free those, the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held slavery to their fear of what? Of death. For surely it is not angels he helped, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That's my gift in him. That he is a high priest making intercession for me, pleading my case before the Father. He's my high priest. And guess what the word priest means? Servant. Servant. That Jesus Christ, this gift that's been given to me, is a servant to me. Not in that I order him to go do this, or I order him to do that. But he serves me by equipping me with everything I need to serve the Lord. To love him. To be his ministers. To be his ambassadors. To be his messengers. He provides me with all I have need of. Like his brothers in every way in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement. What is atonement? A sacrifice for what? My sin. That he became my sacrifice for my sin. He became exactly what John said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became my Lamb of that lamb of the Old Testament that was sacrificed on the altar. He shed his blood for me. That gift that was given died for me and became a sacrifice for me. Making atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted He is able to help those who are being tempted. He understands this humanity. He understands my weakness. He understands that I have to come to the same place where he came to in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of us have that experience of a Garden of Gethsemane. That something can come upon us that is so heavy upon us. That we have to surrender and come to a point and say, yes, Lord, not my will. Because, see, I know I want to go this way, Lord. But not my will, your way, Lord. And I walk in the way of the Lord that he has laid out for me. But I have to surrender what? My will in order to perform his will. Jump back up into verse 9. Very important part of this gift that is given. Very important. In verse 9 of Hebrews 2. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. A humbling of what? Himself. If you're going to serve, 
If you're going to follow Christ, there has to be a humbling of what? Of self. Who has made a little lower than the angels and now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. The question is, who did he suffer death for? Here comes part of that gift. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for who? Every man. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? And he took my death upon him. He took my death, my penalty. Let's make it very plain. Ozzy Bonato was a, a son of a chief of one of the tribes in Nigeria. And I went to school with him. And he was up at our house one time and uh, I asked Elaine to pass a biscuit and Elaine kind of took a biscuit and she kind of tossed it over to me and Ozzy told her, no, no, Elaine, no, no. You put biscuit on Hey, and you come to gut and you bow and give him biscuit. Well, I ain't going to tell you what Elaine said. But, <laughs> but for Ozzy, if, if Ozzy did something wrong, his servant got the whooping. Not Ozzy. But one of the servants that served him got the whooping or the beating by the cane from the father. Not Ozzy. Jesus took my whooping. Jesus took my beating. Jesus took my punishment. And he says this now. Thank God for that unexplainable gift that's been given to you. Thank God. With all this stuff that you did in your giving, your giving is really insignificant compared to what God has given to you. Amen? And closing remark is simply this here. Boy. Uh-oh. Is that you yourself don't forget the gift that's been given to you. Don't forget it. Will people throw out their gift? Yes. Don't throw Jesus out of your life. Don't put Jesus on the shelf. Don't take this gift and not use it. But use him. Use him. He wants to be used. For he is an ever-present helper. The gift of life, eternal life, and all the inheritance that come with eternal life is given in this gift of Jesus Christ. Receive him, use him, love him, appreciate him, Value him. Don't discard him. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the gift that you've given to us in Christ. We don't understand why you've given unto us salvation. We know this. We needed it. We needed it. And Lord, you do not regret giving us salvation through Jesus Christ. 
You don't regret in fulfilling your promises to us. You're not willing to take back one thing that you have given to the saints. And Lord, help us to appreciate and value the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all that he is to us. And all that he brings forth in our lives. Help us, Lord, to appreciate him and to love him deeply. And Lord, would you give us a greater love for him? Would you cause us to love him more? Would you grant us and give us a larger faith in him? that we might walk by faith and not by sight? Would you, O oh God, bless us and then teach us, Lord, how to use that blessing for your glory? And would you enrich our lives in such a way that it overflows into the lives of others? Lord, would you, O oh God, work in us through this unexplainable gift that you've given. Work in us that we might be pleasing in your sight. And may we understand this Christmas the greatest gift of all has already been given in the person of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.